Good morning. Good to see everybody. My prayer is that everybody's doing well. Amen. And uh, we're going to keep on this series that I started uh, about four weeks ago. Amen. Series about knowing the will of the Lord as far as and purpose as far as being a church is concerned. Amen. We looked at, um, like four weeks ago, a passage in Matthew about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? And the scripture goes on to say, and, and then these, all these things shall be added unto you. When it comes for uh, uh, worrying and wondering about our, where we're going to live and how we're going to dress and what we're going to eat, well, the Lord basically is saying and has said in that passage that if you take care of my kingdom first, if you're concerned with me, I'll be concerned with you. So he's going to watch over us when we put him first, right? First things first. Then we looked at a passage in Colossians chapter 3, three weeks ago, and regarding that whatever we do, whatsoever we do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, or do it in the name of the Lord. So what we're recognizing there is that our efforts, our energy, our time, our resources, that whatever we put our hand to do for, for the Lord, that we should do it with all our hearts. We should do it well, right? He, he's worthy of that, isn't he, of having the best of us? Because he gave the best of himself to us. And that's kind of a response or a reaction to understanding what he did for us. Last week, we looked at that passage where the Lord had looked out into a field and he said that the harvest was ready, but the laborers were few. And then he said to pray to the Lord of the harvest. What are we to ask him? To send more workers. The ministry and the work of the Lord uh, is so big and so important that we need to be praying for the Lord to put people in places so that we can accomplish his mission and his purposes and that's my challenge up to this point uh, every week challenging you to understand how uh, valuable and privileged we are to even be have anything to do with the Lord and yet he chose us didn't he and yet he sent his son and demonstrated his love for us and uh, allowing him to be the one who would pay for the penalty of our sins and because of that, we have eternal life. We have salvation. We're, we're free from condemnation. Uh, we never will have to face him and be judged because the judgment that we deserved fell on Christ. Isn't that good news? You'll never have to face God and he'll never point a finger at you and say, I told you so. can never do that because he pointed his finger at Christ and Jesus took on himself. According to Isaiah 53, the iniquity of us all was laid on him. He was bruised for our iniquities, the scriptures say. He was chastised for our peace. The chastisement of our peace fell upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. Not were healed, will be healed, could be healed, might be healed. We wish we could be, we might be. No, we are healed, past tense. It's done. The work at Calvary's cross is done. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, goes through all of those doctrines and explains to us who God is and explains to us what his son did. 
and explains to us. And when we get to chapter 12, we're going to read this particular passage that you're going to see on the screen, I think. Romans 12. Titled it, A Living Sacrifice. Now get into the reason why Paul used the word living. Because when he was addressing these Romans, there were also in that congregation a lot of Jews. These were the dispersed Jews. These were the Jews that had been dispersed throughout all the Roman Empire. And they had come, these Jews had come to Christ as Christians and accepted him as Lord and Savior. And so they understood all of the Old Testament sacrifices that were done for thousands of years in the Mosaic Law. They understood how it transferred over to Christ. He became our Passover Lamb. He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. According to John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus walking along the side of the Jordan River and identified him as the Lamb of God. So, let's read it. And then, if you don't mind standing, I'm going to read just the first... Um, well, I'll just read the, what I have up here on the screen. If you don't mind standing. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is uh, good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, through though many, uh, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhorting, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We're going to stop right there, and I hope I can get that far in our sermon, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again. We praise you. We worship you, Lord, for your word, your truth, especially uh, what Paul wrote to the church. This passage becomes uh, our, our, our mantra. This becomes our motto. This becomes, uh, for the church, what gives us uh, our marching orders. This is what tells us what we're to do as Christians especially in the light of your mercy, especially uh, considering all that you have done for us in Christ. So our prayer, Lord, is that as we learn, as we listen to your word today, that when we're finished, we have a response. We have an answer. And we just pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Go ahead and have a seat. 
Okay, so I'm going to do this verse by verse. I've spent some time more on some verses than others. But Paul's appealing. What does it mean when Paul says, I appeal? And he's appealing to who? To this, to this church, to the brothers there, right? To the family of God that he belongs to. I can't call you sister or brother unless we belong to the same family. Right, brother? I'm basically saying we have a father, don't we? When I say, hey, sister, Yolanda. Actually, I call her sister Yo-Yo because she's always going up and down. I'm kidding. That's what you can do with sisters. You can, play, you can mess with them, right? When I say sister Maria, sister Yolanda, right? What am I saying? That I identify with you as a brother and we have a father in common. He's saying to them, hey, I appeal to you. It's another way of saying I urge you. He's trying to convince them of something, right? By the mercies of God. So his urging or his appeal is based on the mercies of God. What does that mean? It means that he's saying these things in view of God's mercy. He's saying, I say this considering God's mercy to you and to me. Right? Because of all that Jesus has done for us, which was merciful. When we look at the cross... We can't help but see God's mercy. I mean, what does mercy actually mean? Let's work with words here. Um, the word mercy is God withholding what we deserved. In other words, he didn't give us what we deserve. What did we deserve? We deserve what Jesus got on the cross. His condemnation and wrath and punishment. So we escape the wrath. So he doesn't give us what we deserve. And then we, not that grace is mentioned here, but grace is mentioned in anything when it comes to talking about the Lord. Grace is the opposite of mercy. He gives us what we don't deserve. It's called unmerited favor. So in mercy, we don't get what we deserve. In grace, we get what we don't deserve. Isn't that weird? It just all turned around when it comes to the kingdom of God. We don't deserve anything. So therefore, whatever gifts we get from God, the word gift comes from, in the, in the Greek, it's also the same word for grace, is charis. Right? Gratis. What's gratis in Spanish? Free. It's a gift. So in the Greek, it's C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, which the Latin and then the Spanish, gratis. And then in English, gratuity. What do we get gratuity from? From the Greek original word, free, a gift. So the gift is given to us in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. And then what we do deserve, Jesus took upon himself at Calvary's cross, his punishment, his wrath. Wow, what a great exchange. So he said, based on what Jesus has done for us, I'm appealing to you. Consider what I'm going to ask you in the light of God's mercy. And we always should filter our thinking in the light of and through the filter of his grace and mercy and love. What does he want us to do? So let's get to the point. He wants you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Hmm? He wants you to offer. He wants you to give your body as a living sacrifice. And he says that it's holy 
and acceptable, meaning pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this first verses that we're looking at here, he mentions sacrifices. What, what's, what's that mean? <laughs> He's looking back at the Old Testament sacrifice, the system, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And he launches into this appeal and he's saying, like then, so now, except one big difference. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices were killed and then offered to God. In the New Testament, that's not necessary. We offer our living bodies, our lives in life, as what? As a sacrifice. Right? Is that what he's talking about? He uh, reflects into the Old Testament, draws out of that those sacrificed animals, and then instead of offering their lives in a death, which was required for the Old Testament sacrifices, which happened over thousands of years, they knew exactly what he was talking about. We have a little bit different idea. And then he says, we are to offer ourselves as living, get the word living sacrifices. Basically, our lives belong to him. We have been purchased with a price, right? So then he goes on to say something at the end, and I really like it. I don't necessarily care too much for the translation in this particular version that I'm using, which is the English Standard Version, where he says that when you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, it's your spiritual worship. It makes sense, but I like what the King James says, and that's how I learned it as, uh, as an old guy, because <laughs> that's what we had back then. You know, all these different Bible translations, they didn't exist when I was growing up. There were a few. Now there's so many. And the real and the proper translation of uh, which is your spiritual worship, should say, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable for you to serve God seeing how he served you through Christ. It's, it's logical. It, it makes sense that if he did that for us, not that we're trying to buy our salvation, it's not what he's saying, because we can't buy it. It can't be bought. It's priceless right, the life of Christ, but be as a response to his love and mercy toward us. It's only reasonable, and then living sacrifice that you offer yourself as is the true and proper way to worship him. See, people go, oh, how do you worship the Lord? Well, this verse tells us we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. We give our lives to him. So what Paul's trying to do here now is after he has spent a great amount of time in the first 12 chapters or 11 chapters of Romans describing how to live as a Christian and Christian doctrine and what's true and what's not true, then he's asking us, now in light of all that, now this. It's like saying, because of this, what he did, you should respond this way. So he's asking us, to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, recognizing that God has shown us great mercy. Basically, 
accepting and understanding that God really owes us nothing. He doesn't owe us anything. Because instead of death, he gives us what? Life in Christ. Instead of a life of that's purposeless and meaningless, he gives us purpose and tells us what our function is. Instead of condemning us for our sins, he's forgiven us of our sins. He's sharing with us all of his riches in this life and in the life to come, including his glory to come, which we will share in in that kingdom. All of this we don't deserve. That's what he says at the beginning of this letter, of this verse, that he's wanting us to consider the mercies of God. That's the reason why we do it. So the question then is, how should we respond? How should we live? And the message really at this point would be that it's only rational for us to give our lives to Him. To live for Him. Amen? That's that first verse. Living sacrifices. Now, back in those days, they would have to find a lamb that was without blemish. It means it couldn't have any uh, injuries and couldn't have any defects. It had to be a perfect lamb whenever they brought one. Sometimes, <laughs> we're so bad. Oh man, it's time to go worship the Lord again up in Jerusalem. This would be like in the day of atonement. Each family would have to bring an animal for the sacrifice. And if you really didn't have the right kind of heart, but you still wanted to act the part, you bring an animal that it was worthless to you because it wouldn't cost you anything. It would cost them when they brought an unblemished lamb, a perfect lamb, because that lamb could be used in many different ways for the wool or for its, you know, whatever. If they were to slaughter it or sell it, they'd get something for it. So the Lord didn't want the wounded or the injured lambs or the lambs with defects. He wanted a perfect one. So what about us? Well, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That's, notice it says holy and acceptable. And the reason we're holy and acceptable is because when we come to Christ by faith, the righteousness of Christ is accredited to us, let it to our account. He sees us without blemish. He sees us through his, the lens of his son, Jesus Christ. He sees us as holy. Holy meaning separate. Holy meaning distinct and separate. He sees us perfect. You know, when someone might criticize me or someone might talk about, I don't know, you know, whatever it might be, I don't listen. I don't care. Why? Because if he accepts me, that's all the acceptance I need. And he accepts us through his son. Anybody here got a little criticism lately and or judged by someone maybe for something you did or didn't do or uh, something, the way you look? I don't know. Aren't we so strange like that as, 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 uh, as people? And you know what the Lord sees when we're in Christ? Perfection. So we don't have to be ready or we don't have to get better to serve him. We just have to be in Christ by faith. 
And then he takes whatever we give him. He sees our hearts. He sees that we seek first the kingdom of heaven like I preached four weeks ago. He sees that we put his things first. He sees that whatever we do and as bad as we do it or as flawed as it can be because we're not perfect in our performance, he sees it perfect. He, he's honored and he'll honor our service to him. Right? And then when we recognize that there's a big harvest that we can see out in the horizon ready to be picked, he, he also will say, if we choose in our hearts to say, you know what, Lord, I, I, I'll go. I'll go, I'll go into the harvest, into your work. And he says, oh, beautiful, because uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's, I'm trying to explain and help you guys understand that it's a privilege to be in his vineyard, in his harvest. It's a privilege to do whatever it is you could do for him, however you do it, hopefully the best you can, and that's all it requires. And then it's amazing that he knows who really is seeking his best, his kingdom first. It's so hard to come up here as a pastor if I haven't studied. And there have been times that I didn't study as well as I probably should have. Never know why. I mean, maybe I had a busy week at my other job. Who knows? Maybe I had a bad day the day before and I just kind of threw down the Bible and said, ah. I mean, I don't remember that I actually did that. I'm just saying. But it would be terrible that we're not offering the Lord our best. But he still takes us. He still loves us, but he's challenging us in these passages to do whatever we can for him and to recognize what a privilege it is. So then, the question then is, then how should we respond to God's great mercy to us? We should serve him in being a living sacrifice that was just up there on the screen a minute ago. I think it's still there, right? Oh, there it is. It's whatever you offer the Lord is acceptable and what? Pleasing. That's what it means. Holy. How many of us know what, what gifts we have? Because once he does that, once he says that, then look what he does. He moves on and he explains in the next verse. Let me go there. Verse 2, I'll just read it up here. Oh, it's not up there. Back, okay. <laughs> I'll go back right now. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Does anybody know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? A thermometer is whatever temperature the room is. So he's saying, don't be like the world. Don't be like the temperature of the world. Right? Don't just go with the flow of the world. No, whatever the world is, that's what you are. But rather be transformed. Be a, instead of a thermometer, be a thermostat. What does a thermostat do? It controls the temperature. I can go over there, well, not so much our thermostats, <laughs> but I can go over there and say I want it to be at 74. So then the thermostat controls the temperature. We as Christians control our environment instead of the environment controlling us. 
That's what it means. Don't be conformed to the world. I see in, as a high school teacher how students in a classroom change over one person's behavior. They all start behaving that way. So I always find out, first thing I do is I try to discover who the leader is. And you know how I do it? I do a bunch of kids fooling around. I tell you one kid, hey, I need you to go step outside for a minute. And they're like, what? Yeah, just go step outside. I need you to go outside for a while. Why? Because I need you to. And then I realized something. Either the other kids don't want to go step outside where it's 107, or they all of a sudden they change because that person was the one who was leading them and being disruptive. And I know so quiet and so nice. That person's out. That's actually the ringleader. Right? Then I send one out and they, they're still hectic in there and chaotic. Oh, wrong person. <laughs> you go out now. And then the next day I say, oh, hey, guess what? You're going to the library today. I am? Yeah, remember that research paper you had to do? I don't have a research paper to do. You do now. And I show him who's in control. And, you, and then he comes back, oh, can I come to class today? Yeah, you can come to class today. But if you do what you did the other day that disrupted the class, you're going to go right back outside again into the... Because what you have to do is be a thermostat instead of a ther thermometer. Not to be conformed to this world. The world doesn't shape us as Christians. We shape the world. You guys see the difference? I don't know if that was a good example. But that was my example. Right? And then what? What does he go on to say? He says, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do you get your mind? How do you change your mind? By what you allow in? Garbage in, garbage out. Famous computer term. You let garbage in your life, garbage comes out of your life. When people tell me about situations in their life that... Uh, and decisions they make and or uh, issues. Sometimes I say, well, what are you allowing into your life and into your thoughts? So what he's saying. And then by renewing your mind in Christ, you put on the mind of Christ. This doesn't mean not sound good because the idea has negative uh, consequences, but you literally wash your brain with Christ. People say, oh my God, you want to brainwash us? If it's Christ, yes. Anything else, no. You wash your mind with Christ, the mind of Christ. And what, what do we know the mind of Christ? We have his word. We have God's word. That's what we're here for, to listen to what God has to say. Then he says, by testing, uh, th that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So how do we know the will of God? Well, we already know he wants us to be a living sacrifice. But how do we know the will of God? By testing. Well, I wonder if the Lord wants me to do this. And you go do it. If you don't find much success in it, probably not what he wants you to do. If doors close, probably not where he wants you to go. How do I know I'm supposed to be here? Well, when the opportunity offered, uh, opened, the door opened, I came and I've been here 17 years now. How do I know? I'm still here. You, we don't discover God's will just by asking necessarily for it. We've got to take steps of faith towards certain directions and allow him and ask him to put his will on our hearts and our minds. And there are things that we do know, but that right there says that we're to re be transformed by the renewal of, our, of your minds. 
If you haven't come uh, and if you're not opening God's word every day, you're going to find it interesting that the world, its ways, its thoughts, its manners will begin to seep back into your life. Because you don't have, you're not filling yourself with the Lord. So then he says here that we're able to discern what is the will of God by testing. How do I know what the will of God is? How do I discern what the will of God is? By testing, by trying, by trying different things. And then it says, what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? He'll let you know. One of the things that we like to say sometimes in Christian circles is that when you're not in God's will, you feel it. Like you don't have any peace about something you're doing. You're anxious. You're angry. You're worried. You're doubtful. Then that's not the will of God. He's like telling you through the Spirit, by planting into your mind and soul, hey, that's not the right way. And then when you are in the will of God, there is a peace. There is a joy. You're not having to really fight for that. Whatever God gives you, you don't have to fight to keep. It's yours. No one can take it away if you don't, as long as you don't allow it. Right? We'll talk about more about that in a minute. Let's look at a, a couple more verses here. Since I have a little time. Verses 3 to and beyond. So, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with, a, with sober judgment. Not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Do we ever do that? Do we ever think we're all that? You know, the Lord has a really special way of allowing us to discover that we're not all that. When we go through difficulties and trials. When we have financial problems or illnesses. When things just don't seem to work out. Maybe it's the Lord putting a stumbling block in front of you to cause you to realize that you're thinking too highly of yourself. What he's basically saying here is we need to have a humble attitude. That's all he's saying. We need to have some humility of who we are. And then he says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we're to think of ourselves according to the measure of what God has assigned us. We're to live as a, a living sacrifice to the measure that God has given us a faith. He assigns it. Isn't that what it says? Each of us has been given a measure of faith. And that faith allows us to do the things we do. Think about that. The measure. Your measure is different than my measure. It's individual. It's personal. God will never give us more than what we're able to bear to start off with. And he'll never ask us to do something we haven't been given the ability to do. Let me say it this way. There's a verse in Luke 12, 48. It's uh, part of a parable. But here's, here's what I'm going to say when it, we look at the measure of faith that God has assigned. It, it's saying to us that we're only required to give 
or to live by faith based on what faith has been given us. So you can't give what you don't have. Right? The saying, I think, is real popular in Spanish too. No puedes dar lo que no tienes. You can't give what you don't have. Why are we trying to give what we don't have? But here's what we should do is give what we do have. That's what he's really trying to get at. The measure of faith that's been assigned to us. In Luke 12, 48, Jesus was sharing a parable. He says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So here's how this, this works in our walk with the Lord. If God's given you much, he's requiring much from you. You're responsible for much. If God has entrusted you with much, more will be required of you. So it's your job to discover the measure that God's given you. Whether it be of faith, whether it be of gifts, whether it be of abilities and resources and talents. It's, you could only give what he's given you. But it should never be less than what he's given you. It doesn't have to be more. The measure that he's assigned is what you're responsible for. So, what do, how do I resolve this idea? I only need to be me. I don't know if you guys hear me. We're not in competition with each other. We're not to be jealous of each other. We're only to be who we are. And it's taken me many, many years to learn that. Because we have a tendency as human beings, as people, to want to be what everyone else measures us up to be. What everyone else thinks we should be. Or we want to please others, so we do things and live our lives to please them, never finding happiness. We're, I'm, here to, I'm here to set you free to serve the Lord. Say this with me. I only need to be me. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and shut down the sermon because I, I just, I can't take it so light. you got to say it with some enthusiasm. <laughs> I'm going to close this down. I only need to be me. The me that has been, that's in Christ. That's it. You're the creature that Christ has made you. The new creature. The born again person. That's all you need to be. Go out and be you in Christ that is. Which in reality, what you're doing then is going out and being like Christ. The one who created you. He knows every single little detail of your life. I'm going to ask him about this bald spot back here when I see him. I never see it. You know why? Because it's behind me. But man, when Sammy or someone takes a picture of me from behind, I say, delete, delete, delete. Uh, yesterday I took a photo uh, at the game when I went to see him and uh, I didn't like the first one <laughs> so I said delete it you know I had to suck in my stomach more okay now take the picture hey he has 
given to us according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You don't need to be anyone else. So now, where does this lead us? What is he trying to tell us as living sacrifices? What he's trying to tell us, for as much, we're one body. So everyone in here has a place and a purpose and a function. There's some, there are things I cannot do. I just can't do them. I don't have the abilities. But that you can. And then sometimes it's because I just don't have the time. So I need someone to help. And I'm talking about as a church. Uh, it says, for in one body we are many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So the hand can't say to the foot, hey, I don't need you. Yeah, you do. The body does. Or the eyes say to the ear, what need to have of you? Each part of the body has a special function. And Paul uses that as an example here to give us an analogy of how the church works. So we, though many, are one in Christ and individual members one of another. Hey, a foot without a, I don't know, a fibula and a tibia and all the other bones that go up to the hip bone, right? What's this one, Carlos? Since you're, what's this big bone right here? Femur, huh? She's took all those science classes. And then some. The femur is worthless without the, the complexity of the knee and how it's designed without the tibia and the fibia and the ankle and the foot. I mean, you get it, you know what I'm saying? And I mean, I'll say it the way the hip bones connected to the, the thigh bones connected to the hip. Remember that? How we used to say that? All of it pieces, all of the members of the body function together for a purpose. That's what he's trying to tell us. Verse 6, having gifts that differ. Now he's going to use the members and the, of the body and going to use the analogy of gifts. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Notice he says it again. Our gifts differ according to the grace given us. So the grace given me isn't the grace given to Yolanda. I don't have to wonder what Yolanda's grace is. God's given it to her. That's hers to be concerned with. Uh, and the grace that he's given me, I'm to be concerned with that. But we're to use our grace and our gifts together for the purpose of the church, for the function of the church. And then he says in verse, uh, at the end of verse 6, if prophecy, let's just say for instance, is your gift in proportion to your faith, use it. Let us use them, it says there in the middle of verse 6. If uh, service in our serving, I could do it this way. If you have the gift of prophecy, use it. If you have the gift to serve, serve. Use it. If you teacher, teach. Uh, use it. Uh, the one who exhorts or uh, encourages, use it. Uh, the one who contributes is a giver. Do it so in generosity. Use your generosity. If you're a leader, do it with zeal. Use your zeal. The one who, who does acts of mercy or acts of benevolence. You help people that have needs. Do it with cheerfulness. Do it. That's what he's saying. Let us use them. Verse 6 there says that. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys a practical, practical example. You may have heard this story before. I love it. Uh, one thing I'll say when it comes to the body and it comes to our gifts. So what am I trying to encourage you to do? To discover your gifts and then in, as a living sacrifice, use them. Sacrifice your gifts to the Lord. Your living sacrifice to the Lord is to use your gifts because you're members of a body, the church. That's what he's driving at. 
uh, at work, uh, I got a pretty good principle. That's, that's my leader. He says, teamwork makes the dream work. And I'm like, oh God, I've heard that one before. But teamwork, let's just use that example. Each of us has a gift, right? I'm going to ask you later if you know what it is. But not yet. That just sets you up to think about it. So I, I found this in uh, John Corson. He's a pastor of a church in Oregon. Um, he wrote this uh, many, 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 many years ago. I read it and I saved it because I loved it. And I may have shared it with you without actually reading from what he wrote. I may have made it up myself a little bit. You guys ready? This is something related to us having many gifts but needing to use them for the benefit and the unity of the body of Christ. So he's going to use a toolbox as an example. Brother Hammer was appointed to preside over the master tool convention. Brother Hammer. Brother Screwdriver objected saying, Brother Hammer, you're too noisy to preside over this meeting. You're always driving home your point, always nailing people and hitting up them upside the head of the nail. I call for your resignation immediately. Brother Hammer responded, Well, <laughs> what about you, Brother Screwdriver? All you ever do is spin around in circles. That may be true, said Brother Screwdriver, but at least I'm not like Brother Plane, the plane that levels wood. His work is so surface, so shallow. What right does he even have to be here? Uh, uh, master Convention of Tools. If you're going to kick me out, protested Brother Plane. What about Brother Ruler? Brother Ruler thinks he's always right. He's always measuring people according to his own standard of inches. Well, if you're going to come down on me, argued Brother Ruler, what about Brother Pliers? He needs to get a grip. All he ever does is squeeze people. Brother Pliers. Hmm. Well, at least I don't rub people the wrong way, said Brother Pliers. Staring at Brother Sandpaper. Then, at that very precise moment, the master craftsman, the master carpenter, walked in to the master tool convention. And he began to use each tool at the perfect time and in a perfect way and created an object of great beauty. You see, the master carpenter is Jesus. And we may be like these different tools, thinking that our function is loud and noisy, or that we rub someone the wrong way, or all you ever do is spin around in circles like a screwdriver, and or you're just constantly measuring people and judging people, and people never meet your standard. And But when our Lord, who created us, put us together... Guess what? He's going to create something beautiful. So your goal is to be a living sacrifice and understand in what way God is going to use your gift to bless the body. 
Amen? So, at times, we may look at the gifts of other people and the way that God made them. And, and we might think maybe like in the little story I told you that maybe they're too shallow or they rub you the wrong way or they're too hard or always banging on you or hurting you or, and noisy. And then when we finally come to the point to where we realize and understand that we're all different members of the one same body and that God can use us because we all have a part to play and we all have a function to fulfill my challenge to you is to, for you to pray and ask God how he can use you here if this is where you feel God has put you as far as being in the body of Christ so that we together through him can make something beautiful happen. Amen? That's my challenge to you. I think it's beautiful to be a family. Um, and so that's, that's where we are today. We, we, we need to continue to work. We need to continue to go into the harvest because there are many souls around here that need Christ. What's your part? Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us to see how things fit together in, in the church. And thank you for your grace and mercy. And thank you, Lord, that we can hear what we heard today and respond by faith and say, Lord, I want to offer my life for your use, a living sacrifice. It's the least I can do. It's the best way that I can worship you and serve you because that's what you did for me. That's what you did for us. You offered your life so that we might be saved. You offered your life so that we might have forgiveness. You gave of yourself in sacrifice so that we could enjoy eternity. And while we're here, you've given us a purpose and a reason. We pray, Lord, as Cross Point Community Church, that we would always have our eyes on the privilege that it is to serve you to do things in your name, to put you first. And when we do those things, do it always in your name and for your cause and purpose. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.